Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. Today I'm coming live from an ascent of Arthur's Seat. If I ascend a bit breathless, that's why I'm in Edinburgh. I've been seeing Bruce Springsteen, the boss himself, at Murrayfield Stadium, and I'm recording this the day afterwards. Uh, so this this podcast is a little bit different than our normal format. We're not looking at a particular game. Instead, I've invited... John Cohen from Tale of the Manticore podcast to talk to us about the creative process of making Tale of the Manticore. If you haven't seen it, it's a podcast that is a bit of a narrative experiment where John takes us on a story and the dice decide the outcome. You must try it out and hopefully by the end of uh, listening to this, if you haven't listened to it already, you will give it a try. Also, uh, me and Blythe uh, have appeared in the podcast, so you'll have to listen out for that. Uh, I am Lord Rabbit, and Blythe, he, he sees his villainous side, but yeah, you have to check that out to find it. Later in the podcast, Blythe joins me in the Las Agawi in Manchester. Yeah, for the first time in a long time, we managed to record in the pub, and with minimal noise in the background, so we've got our wigs on. But don't worry, there's not too much uh, Elvis Costello to interrupt your enjoyment. Anyway, uh, that hill isn't going to crack itself, so I'm going to keep on climbing and uh, rambling. And as for you, well, ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to the Zoom of Roleplaying Rambling with me, Dirt the Dice, with a virtual grog meet special. Uh, joining me this time uh, is John Cohen, the producer of Tale of the Manticore podcast, an audio drama where the dice decide. Hello there, John. Hey, how are you doing? You know what? Let me begin uh, with a, a deep apology for last week. Um, uh, standing you guys up, it, I got the time change wrong. And uh, I wanted to apologize for anybody who I inconvenienced or uh, or who, who wanted to see that and missed it. Oh, don't worry about it, John. A British summertime confuses us as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how much uh, daylight it actually saves. But, um, well, very gracious. But but all the same, my, my apologies to uh, to you and to your audience. Well, it's, it's great to see you. And um, we were recalling, weren't we, um, before we put the mics on that, it's been a while isn't it since we've seen each other face to face it has been i think um a couple a couple three years even well let the manticore see the rabbit and let me just ask you the first question which is where in the world are you um beaming from so i'm in uh i'm in toronto and it is a iron gray rainy day outside and have, have you always lived in uh, toronto uh, for for most of my life, yeah, I uh, in my in my professional um, career, I, I spent some time in the states, uh, some time in Japan, and some time in Korea. But I've been here for the last dozen years, um, teaching high school in Toronto. And where did you start then? What's your origin story? What was the first 
a role-playing game that you played? The, my first one was actually BX, and uh, I, I remember it very, very, very clearly. I, I don't have a ton of memories from my from my childhood, but uh, that Keep on the Borderland and the Purple Box set, I remember it extremely well. Uh, it it clearly had a big impact on me, surprise, surprise. Um, but I, I guess I was 12 years old, and my older brother brought me into it probably he, he must have been desperate for players because he certainly didn't want to be around me otherwise. And what is it that you remember from that particular adventure? I remember Morgan Ironwolf. I remember the Minotaur in the Labyrinth. I remember um, Hey Rube, which I didn't understand until about two years ago, by the way. that Really, it was the Aerolotus art that got me um, in the BX set and in the Keep on the Borderlands. Uh, that Morgan Ironwolf... I could have and probably did just stare at that picture for for hours. Um, just obsessed, obsessed. The the weapons rack picture obsessed me. Uh, that for for my twelve year old brain, that was that was everything to me. Absolutely. So, so that was your starting point. So how did you mm-hmm. expand from there? What what other games were you playing? We we sort of tried most of the ones that became available in Canada, which I think was a slightly different. Um, menu than you had in uh, the UK. Uh, things like uh, Warhammer were really uh, rare uh, here. Uh, and GURPS, that kind of thing, we didn't get that so much. We got a lot of the TSR products, Top Secret, um, Star Frontiers, Gamma World, all of those, which which all are kind of related to basic D&D in that way. There was a weird one called tune that i remember very well and villains and vigilantes with a bunch of jeff d art in it and again the more i think about it the more i think it was the artwork that appealed to me more than the the mechanics meant nothing to me at all i think it was the artwork it just either captured my imagination or not and what's uh, kept me going because obviously we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the podcast but at the core of it mm. is that sense of uh, osr and uh, bx uh, rules isn't it so it, it's it, it yeah. stayed with you what, what, what do you put that down to i guess it comes down to being in a deep freeze like for a long time because i i i put down my pencil and dice uh at about 18 years old and i didn't pick them up again until the pandemic uh yeah full disclosure i was just I just couldn't handle the stigma anymore when I was a teenager. I wanted to, um, you know, have a, a girlfriend and uh, uh, be in a rock band and do all that stuff. And the stigma of D&D back then in the 80s was, was I couldn't uh, handle it anymore. So I I just gave up, I guess. That's sad. But you, you came back to it. Let's let's move on to the uh, podcast because mm-hmm. it is, for one thing, an interesting experiment more than anything else. If people aren't aware of Tale of the Manticore, can can you do your pitch, John? Yeah, I'm uh, famously bad at the elevator pitch. What, what I, I kind of say it's the intersection between um, a dark fantasy novel and um, kind, kind of presented in an oldie-timey radio fashion with some music and some sound effects and some voice acting and an actual D&D game. Plot is uh, not not known in advance. It's all generated by dice. And so it's it's a little bit like the radio show of a D&D game that happened. And that's about as close as I can get to, to what it's, what it is. Yeah. And it's I quite, how, how did I do? <laughs> but, but very good. And I think it's worth saying that it's quite distinctive from actual plays. Isn't it? It's not, mm, it you don't different. get that sense. Yeah. 
what what do you start with that's what i i'm interested in. so you, you say that it emerges from your uh gameplay but you must have right. an idea of uh, where the plot's going and uh developing that so what's what's the process of uh producing yeah. one of these i i guess it starts with um you you have to be the the dm and the players kind of in turns and kind of simultaneously it it sounds it sounds complicated but it's actually really really simple maybe the way that sitting down to write a novel is pretty straightforward you've got a couple ideas in your head and you start banging keys on your keyboard and and something happens but for for manticore usually i'll start out with a dm mindset and kind of set out a situation the same way i would if i was dming a table of players uh, it could be anything, but as long as there's a conflict in it, it's pretty much good to go. Uh, and then um, once that conflict is established, you know, oh, no, the, the farm is in trouble. It, it could be anything. Uh, and then you kind of switch your your mental state to, okay, now I'm the players, and I've got a handful of characters that are, because it's old school, it's all rolled up very, very quickly. And then I think, well, if my players have some kind of distinct personality type, how, how would they react to that logically? And it, there's just a kind of a, a back and forth between that DM state and the player state. Like, I don't really have to think about, oh, wh- oh what would this character do? Oh, what, what would that character do? Because very, very quickly, they get their own identities. And I know, I know what they would do. It's really, really clear. Uh, and I guess that's the engine going back and forth between that DM, here's the problem, and the characters, how do we react to the problem? That kind of back and forth, even though it's just me, it's uh, it's not so different from a table game. Actually, I I understand that it doesn't it doesn't seem like that would work out, but it it does. It's not hard at all, actually. So, do you record it in segments then? So, uh, and are those segments scripted, or are they are you producing those as you're thinking of the game, like a a, a, a GM would? I, I think here's a a good example of like the medium is the message because of the way it's produced. It does change the way. It comes, it comes out, and which makes it a bit different than a game, uh, because a game is very, very social. It's very, very improv. We react to the twists and turns right there, because because we're all right there. But with Manticore, if if there's a twist or a turn, or the dice shows something unexpected, I can put it down and walk away and think about it on my commute to work, or go have a swim and 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 just let it you know, marinate in my head a little bit. And then I'll come back with uh, usually a much better answer than I would have come up with on the fly. Uh, and and just as you say, that's how it works. I'll sit down and start typing a script. And uh, the script in the game, it, it, that's all one thing. It's not like I play the game, record it, and then go back and make a script of it. You could do it that way, but it would take even longer than it does. So now I just start typing. And uh, if the character says something, I'm just thinking of it kind of in the moment. If I come to a, a roadblock, uh, oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, or the dice show that something unexpected is going to happen, I might have an idea and just go with it and, and keep on typing. Uh, or I might have to go away and think about it. But the, I guess the slowness of the process, uh, that makes a huge difference because it really gives you that time to think about it. Uh, I've never played uh, like a play-by-mail game but I, I'm willing to bet that that has a similar quality where you get these long gaps between uh, turns, so to speak, and it, it allows you to really think about what you're going to do next. So everything is kind of more deliberate and maybe, maybe even denser because every interaction is meaningful. Yeah, that's quite a good analogy, isn't it? So you've got a radio play, play-by-mail 
experience. It's it's almost like a, a solo game book as well, isn't it? Um, it creates those yeah. There's there's images. a little bit yeah, yeah. There's a little. I mean, going back to that uh, first first bit where where I was 12 years old and reading the game books. My favorite favorite part was always the examples of play. I don't know why, but even as a teenager, I remember thinking, you know, somebody should make a whole novel that's one of these transcripts of play. I would read the hell out of that. And well, hey, look, now here I am, in a way, eh, sort of doing something like that. Not quite, but sort of. You mentioned the characters and the characters for the fans of the show are the key to it, mm-hmm. aren't they? How important so. do you think it is that you roll the characters in front of the audience? Because it's BX, I'm very comfortable uh, doing that. And I think it adds uh, to the gaminess of the story. And I'm really trying to be conscious of making it a game as well as a novel. Sometimes I'll I'll go pretty deep into an episode and realize I haven't rolled a a die, um, which to me is actually uh, a negative because I want there to be that gaming uh, flavor throughout and I, I want the the underlying mechanics of the dice to feel very present uh, and sometimes I do lose that and I'll just go off on some kind of uh, I guess what would be a, a role play tangent uh, but I do want that there and so I, I do like the idea of rolling up the characters when I know they're going to be important at least for a short time maybe a long time I don't know uh, lifespans tend to be a little short on the show but if I think, oh, this is a PC, definitely they get rolled up uh, in the open. But but again, it's it's a you know how long does it take to roll up a a PC in BX? Five minutes tops, maybe less. You must have uh, some attachment to the characters. So who who are your favorite characters that have emerged from the stories? Yeah, I really do. When they don't make it, I feel I feel that uh, period of mourning the same way you do at, at a real table, and the longer the longer you play a character, the more they you bond with them. It's it's such a strange thing to me. Uh, I know they're just numbers and, and scratches on a paper, but somehow you do bond with them. And boy, oh, do, do you, like for people who have listened to the show, that there are some moments that are, I guess, like low is the word. Uh, and you, you know, um, the if you can sense that I'm going through something after the loss of a character. It, it's genuine. Uh, even though I'm recording the thing, like, you know, the script is being written first and then I go back and record it. So, but the the recreated emotions, they're, they're all real. Uh, so definitely I bond with them. And in terms of a favorite, I think in season one, I think my favorite was uh, Umura. I remember uh, Umura had been alive for a few dozen episodes when somebody finally gave me a copy of the fifth edition player's handbook. Uh, I, I was very, very late to that party. Uh, and I was I was looking through it and kind of feeling like, eh, this is this is maybe not for me, but you know I want to give it a chance. And, and I was hoping to get a chance to play it. And I remember paging through it and finding an example um, character called Umara. And it was a kind of a facepalm moment where I thought, oh, man, people are going to think that I just read the fifth edition player's handbook and changed a vowel. I guess I guess, <laughs> I guess, when you throw a bunch of phonemes in the air and just let them land, I guess that's going to happen every now and then. Because as well as creating the characters, you're creating a game world as well. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to know how much of that you've got plotted out. So have you got a gazetteer or a map that you're right. working to? Right. I guess there's the two methods, right? You can either plan everything and then play in your sandbox, 
Uh, but I do the other one where you start with a point on a map and that's all, that's all there is. And then you work out from there. It's, it's just a quantum fantasy map and it doesn't exist until somebody goes there or mentions it or there's a piece of lore or whatever. That, that actually gets sticky after a while because you start to get these continuity errors or even just the anxiety of continuity errors, to be honest. Uh, so I remember thinking at several times as my map expanded with the story, a lot of it just through characters mentioning, you know, oh, mountains to the south. Well, okay, now there's mountains to the south. Uh, that has to be on the map. And I remember um, at one point, middle middle of season one, uh, having to kind of like put, like stop all the presses and make sure that my travel distances made sense. All the while thinking, nobody but me cares. It, nobody's thinking about this stuff. Uh, but I wanted it to uh, to hold water uh, and, and be as, as genuine as possible. And so I actually made sure that could character A travel from here to there uh, in the time that I give them? Uh, and so, yeah, I had, I had to kind of um, warp my map just a little bit to make sure everything uh, made sense. And as it went, I would sketch it. So I've got a few binders here that are uh, full of hand-drawn maps. And eventually I tried out Incarnate uh, and, and made them look a little bit better. But yeah, that, that world is... Uh, it's it's still mostly uh, fog of war with uh, well now a fairly detailed uh, set of kingdoms set in it, but but no, yeah nothing exists until it gets a mention. I don't know is that how you do yours as well or do you play in a in like a published setting or or something else? I I tend to go towards uh, published settings because mm-hmm. I t- I tend to not have ongoing campaigns. I t- tend to have bursts of campaigns that lasts for uh, 10 sessions or so, and we may revisit right. them later. And um, talk about that kind of uh, time span. I'm trying to avoid spoilers in this because I want people to uh, discover mm-hmm. it themselves. But you made quite a significant decision at the end of um, season one. Um, so what was <laughs> what was the thinking behind that? Because I know um, for quite a few uh, fans, it took a bit to get, get a, getting adjusted to it. It did. So, I, so you're talking about how I leap forward a couple of decades, yeah, 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 and, and with all new, uh, all new characters. So there, there is a, a reason for doing it that way. And I know that a bunch, a bunch of people said that they had a hard time re, reconnecting and rebonding. So, so here's what I was thinking when I, when I made that decision. You ever pick up a book and it's, you know, as, as thick as, uh, uh, as a, as a triple decker sandwich, and you think. Nah, I, mm, that's a lot of book. Uh, maybe I don't want to read that much book. I'll go for something thinner. You know, a, a big book uh, chopped up into three sections to me would be more appealing only because that big that big book looks like a lot of work. And so I thought to myself, you know, if any, if, if I would like to get some new listeners for season two, they might look at season one and think that is a big book. That is a big sandwich. And I'm not sure I can eat the whole thing. So I, I wanted to kind of front end season two with a message saying, you don't need to have listened to season one. And, and in fact, sometimes I tell, I, I recommend that people start with season two because I know what I'm doing better <laughs> in season two. And it just picks up speed much uh, smoother, faster. And, and although it might be interesting to hear me learn what I'm doing and uh, have a well, I suppose that's something in season one. It's it's definitely um, you're you're along f- to 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 watch me or listen to me learn what I'm doing in season one. Uh, it's got its merits, but in season two, this story just starts. Uh, so I wanted to keep my game world, 
keep uh, this, the lore that existed uh, because it's kind of set in my in my head. So I didn't want a complete reset. Uh, so I just advanced the clock 20 years. I thought, well, that will kind of that'll do us like a soft reset on this world, but it'll keep some of the lore that's there. Um, I won't have all of the anxiety about continuity because I, I've just learned the world over the last few years in season one. Uh, and so, but, but all new characters and I, I wanted to try a different uh, tone. And so I thought, well, maybe this could be an urban setting and I'll get into that, I guess, uh, th- thieves world kind of, kind of vibe. And I thought, well, this would be, it's, it's just a different uh, flavor of fantasy. I don't know, what would you call season one is a kind of a, a classic slash epic uh, and somehow got into uh, dwarven lore, which was never my intention or, or even my interest. It just happened. Um, but in season two, I wanted something completely different. And so I thought, okay, it's going to be uh, rival thieves guilds and it's going to be uh, urban. And I'll explore the city that I mentioned a few times in season one, but never never went there, never never explored it uh, and see what that looks like. And I thought the interactions can be uh, much more uh, faction-based and person-to-person based rather than sort of classic D&D encounters. So so for me, because I'd been doing one thing for a couple of years, it was a, it was a change of pace, but uh, it, it did necessitate a whole new cast of characters. And, and very early on in season one, I, I, this is a spoiler, but it's, it's it happened so early, I think it's okay. Um, there's a TPK. And so my original handful of characters immediately wiped out and uh, I have to go with the second set, which was a surprise. But but that's that's also what makes the show kind of engaging for me is that I really I really don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, and I, I want to keep it that way. Also, as part of production, you use very good sound design. So um, what was the thinking behind that? And how does that work out? Because you do differentiate, don't you, between the actual game and then stepping outside for you to do yeah. your dice rolling by using the sound design. So how, how did you come about that idea? And uh, how, did, how do you make that work? The idea for having the um, sections, uh, you know, here's a DM commentary section, and then uh, let's come back to the narrative and then try and make that happen in a sort of cinematic way with with music and sound effects. The idea for that is not mine. That came from uh, the Iron Realm podcast, which was a huge inspiration for me. And uh, as far as I can tell, the uh, the creator, Abel Enzo, He's the he's the guy that came up with this mode of uh, storytelling, as far as I can tell. Uh, and it was during the pandemic, and I just stumbled across his podcast and uh, loved it. And uh, it really inspired me. It, one of the reasons why why I started making my own was because I, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll find uh, several dozen more that are just like this amazing podcast. And then it turned out there were none. But I really liked the the unpredictability, the experimental nature of it. And um, and I thought, well, I've got a bit of a background as an amateur sound engineer. And uh, I used to have a career as a working musician. And I'm kind of looking around my, my studio here. And I thought, you know, I've got all the pieces uh, to make this podcast that I was hoping to find someone else had made. And then when the, when the pandemic came, it was just clearly this is what I should be doing with my time. Uh, all of the signs are there. I've got this nice microphone. I've got a bunch... I got a bunch of guitars. I have an embarrassing amount of guitars here. Uh, And uh, I could just put all my hobbies in a stack. And instead of making uh, rock music, I could try and make 
something that sounds a bit like Diablo and, and put it into a, a podcast. And so I just, that's, that's how it came together. It's just all of my, um, all of my interests just converged on this one spot, uh, which is uh, Manticore. The music adds a lot to it because I listen to Taylor and Manticore when I'm having a walk and I can feel my pace increasing. And it's because <laughs> of the intensity of the music. I, right. I walk about 10 times faster. That's awesome. That's some, some of the music, I should say, is not mine. I think I'm about 70, 30 of my own scoring. And then if I need something with certain uh, instruments or, or that's just outside of my abilities i'll i'll use um you know uh, creative commons music yeah your music and ken hike's voice makes me walk faster one one of the things that we, we mentioned right at the start and uh, you were quite quick to do this and it was about uh, i mean people don't want to listen to podcasters talking about podcasts but here we go here we are um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah you were very early on quite keen to reach out to the podcast community and yeah, to try yeah. and work out ways in which to find audiences because that is a challenge isn't it as a, a podcast it really is um, it, with with lots of content available it's how do you reach out and connect so what are the strategies that you found john to uh, find uh, new audiences yes yeah, uh, still looking to some degree um uh, some things have worked uh, some things haven't but but you're right when when so when we first met uh, and I was just completely green and had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to make the show. I didn't know how to publicize the show uh, or promote it. I think I just threw out something on Twitter to say, hey, let's all get together and, and talk about how we can promote. And, that, and that's how we met. And the, the truth is that there is no good or easy way to promote. And it's not like YouTube where you could there's clickbait or um, you know uh, people are going to invest 15 seconds to try out your thing. There's a, a bit of a a commitment or a buy-in to get somebody to even try out uh, your podcast. I can only imagine what it's like for novelists. Here, would you like to try my novel? It'll only take you 45 hours. Uh, <laughs> that's got to be a hard sell. Uh, well, I guess we're somewhere in the middle because uh, YouTube, you can you can test stuff out. You can test out a hundred things uh, in in a week and pick your favorite. But um, anyway, so to get people to listen to podcasts, I thought, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Uh, and th there are a few things that have uh, worked and a few things that haven't. Uh, so uh, word of mouth, of course, is the best. But even that, you have to have the ball rolling before word of mouth does anything. Because the reality is, when you start, you've got three listeners and two of them are you. <laughs> right? <laughs> how many downloads did I get today? Seven. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's how everybody starts. Uh, and then you build very, very, very slowly over time. At, at least my experience is that it's a slow build over time. I'm sure some people have some spike where uh, they get a moment of publicity. For most of us, you build slowly over time and you, and you win fans one at a time, a bit like old rock bands. Actually, I think that the parallels really hold water. It's a little bit like being in a punk band or a hardcore band. Uh, you... You put in that time and you tour and you tour and you tour and, and slowly you grow a fan base. And I think it's kind of like that. Uh, for podcasting, though, I do um, ad swaps. And so some people complain that the there's an ad in the middle of the show and it, and it, it breaks up um, the flow. And uh, yeah, it, it, I'm sure it does. But that's also one of the only ways that I have to uh, grow an audience. And, and it works quite well. Uh, so I'll just reach out to some podcasters and say, hey, do you want to drop a 
30 second spot in my show and uh, and please play my spot and and that's how it works and then you know you have to rinse and repeat over and over and over and over and over um, but I think it's accumulative because those ads are permanently embedded so somebody who's discovering my show tomorrow is going to hear an ad for a podcast that you know that that got set three years ago and that podcast hopefully is still around I know that some don't make it again it's it's uh, it can be it can feel like uh, yelling into the void sometime, especially when you're starting. Uh, so, so that works really well. And uh, uh, kind of by accident, I, I found that by reaching out to ask people to uh, be a voice actor, that had a similar effect, actually, because uh, a person that would do um, a voice for my show, they might, uh, they might mention it to somebody else or they, they might listen to it themselves. Uh, if they like it, they again they might mention it to somebody else, and so I found again by accident I just needed voices. Uh, I found that 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 grew my audience, and, and also it made the show better. Uh, I think somewhere around I don't know episode in the episode twenties I think of season one, which sounds pretty late for things to start cooking, but I do think that things start to cook somewhere in the twenties, and it's it's because I started to get uh, a handle on on voice talent. And uh, what could be accomplished? And I guess I started to learn how to write dialogue a little bit better uh, when I was writing for other people and, and knew that I was doing that. Uh, and and so I think that the show got better because of that. And also, it just expanded um, the number of invested people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, you know, you'll always get uh, podcasters who are keen to appear on other podcasts. I mean, if you want mm-hmm. to expand the role of Lord Rabbit, you go ahead. Um, I can. <laughs> I can. probably will. So you've returned over the last few years to um, uh, gaming, produce the podcast. Have you managed to get some face-to-face play or um, play with others? Uh, so what, what's the last game that you played? Uh, yesterday, actually, I found a, a table, a live table game here in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's a, a pretty big city. I guess we are 5 million people here. Uh, you'd think it would be a snap to get together a table of old school gamers, but actually it's, it's very, very tough. There are a lot of games here, but they're all 5e. Uh, so I started out trying um, 5e. That's real. That's what I could do. Uh, and so I, I, there, there's a, a place here, a kind of a, it's like a cafe, kind of a RPG cafe, magic, the gathering cafe. Uh, and so they host D&D games, and I went and I joined a group, and great people, um, wonderful people. But I found I didn't, I didn't enjoy 5e, and it was, uh, it was kind of an after-work thing. And so I'd go there a little bit tired uh, and, and wanting to get my D&D fix. Uh, but I found, I found that I was leaving disappointed. It just moved so slowly for me. Again, uh, I, no, no shade on 5e and people who play 5e. You know, a mechanic is a mechanic, but for me, it uh, it didn't work well, and it um, I guess the 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 look and feel of Five E was wrong for me, and I think it influences the way people play, uh, and Critical Role influences the way people play now. Uh, it felt a little cartoony and a little Marvel superheroesy, and um, again, obviously, people like it, people love it. Uh, it's I guess the most popular thing but that wasn't what i was looking for in a game was um like i don't i don't enjoy a, a power 
uh, power trip kind of game. And that's what it felt like, you know, just first level flinging fireballs around. I want to, I want to earn it. I want to earn it the hard way. I'm a weirdo that way. Uh, I, I do like mortality and danger and high stakes and uh, even a sense of horror and fear in my games. Uh, but that's just my own taste and everyone's got their own. And so I remember when I, I remember when I started, I was really kind of angry about new age gaming or or new style of gaming, and I didn't like it. And I was on a bit of a war path. Uh, and at some point, I mellowed it out and just realized, you know what? Just everybody can game the way they want to, and I, I it really doesn't hurt me at all. I, I think I was upset because I was looking for that old school game table, and I just couldn't find it. I just kept on finding all these other things that were kind of looked like it but we're not it uh, but eventually i did find uh, a bunch of people with the same interests and, and we're playing an old school essentials game uh, a couple of times a month and it's super fun I, i'm i'm loving the hell out of that yeah it's something about old school essentials that has captured the spirit of um mm-hmm. bx isn't it and um represented it in a very understandable and um credible way it kind of works mm-hmm. doesn't it? it it really does it really does and of course if you play old school essentials or bdx well same thing really i think every table just hacks the the hell out of it so you're really just making up rules on the fly uh and i think that's why it moves so quickly uh you know a three or four hour session of bx you know probably half a dozen things happen whereas um with 5e i found out in the same i found that in the same amount of time it would be like a combat happens or or two social interactions happen it, it just moved too slowly for me yeah and i think with um 5e as well um i enjoy playing uh 5e um but it's remembering all the stuff isn't it uh, as a player and as a, a, a gm yeah. all the and, yeah. and making sure that you're optimizing the best point to do things whereas oh i see there's something um, fatalistic about it just throw yourself at it and hope it works yeah. I did find myself looking at my character sheet a lot playing 5e, where playing BX I never do. Uh, we forget to update our character sheets because they just don't they, they just don't get pulled out unless you know somebody says I need a wisdom check. What's your wisdom? And I don't I don't remember. Where oh it's uh, eleven. You know that's the only time these things come out. Um, whereas yeah, in 5e I find that the mechanics are um, I don't know more to the front or something. There's definitely more of them. But to be fair. Boy, boy, do I know BX. I just remember it because I memorized that book as a child. So it's it's in here. Um, I don't have to flip and turn uh, through pages to look up a thing. I just I just know stuff now. Um, but B, but five E, boy, I had to look up everything. And and also, I'm an old man now, and they made the font very very small in those books. I remember being under these fluorescent lights, like reaching for my. Uh, uh, Dollarama glasses going, oh my goodness, I have to put on my old man glasses to read this. Yeah. <laughs> so I've asked you what the first game uh, you played, which was uh, BX. What was the yeah. last game you played, which was Old School Essentials? And I'm going to ask you, what is the game that means everything to you? Uh, <laughs> God, this is such a toss-up for me because uh, I was I was thinking about this question and I thought, ah, oh, my first and my last are the same. That's a that's a cheat. Uh, so I'm going to present a tie for my everything, uh, and I want to highlight two systems that people may not be familiar with that are both 
brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It, it, it blows my mind that, that people have come up with these uh, completely different takes. Here they are. One of them is Tana Pigeon's Mythic System, which is a GM emulator uh, designed for solo play or for GM-less play. You can uh, use a group, you know, three players, no GM. I've done that. It works great. Uh, the, the brilliance of this system, to, uh, to oversimplify but to, but to explain quickly, is uh, the action and subject tables, which um, if you're familiar with things like Iron Sworn, you'll, you'll be familiar with these. Uh, two tables, one is you roll um, a verb and one of them you roll a noun. Uh, so you'll roll percentile dice and you'll get something like defend. And then you'll roll again and get a noun and it will say something like pride. I don't know, whatever you get. And then you have to take those two words and, and make it make sense. Uh, it's like story story cubes in a way, only with a hundred sides per die, uh, and it is brilliant because it it makes you uh, think in ways that you wouldn't otherwise, and it really is like having another person there pushing you, or 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 making limitations that inspire your creativity um, in, in that way that limitations really can do. You know, uh, sometimes I tell um, my students. You know, if somebody says draw a picture, you'll you're, you'll be paralyzed. But if somebody says draw a picture of a banana and you can only use charcoal, now everybody just goes. They know what to do, and their their creativity is unleashed. And it's the same way with mythic. It narrows the goalpost so much that you 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 do focus and uh, come up with something brand new. So that's mythic by Tana Pigeon. She just put out mythic two. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it's brilliant because mythic one, it it's it's a stroke of genius. It really is. Uh, and the other one that I want to uh, uh, emphasize, and it's really um, influenced the way that I think about game design myself, is The Quiet Year, which is um, a game where you uh, use playing cards to uh, uncover prompts. And so um, it's, a, it's kind of a story building game and a map building game. And in The Quiet Year, you uh, you kind of draw a map as you go, and as you turn over cards, events will happen. You know, you turn over three of clubs, and it will say, a stranger comes to your town uh, bringing bad tidings. What are those tidings? And then you just make it up, and it's uh, it's uh, another brilliant system that just reinvents what role-playing games can be for me uh, completely from the ground up. I, I remember being obsessed with The Quiet Year, played it a, a bunch, ended up playing it in my classrooms with 30 people. Uh, still do that, actually. I've become kind of the teacher who plays the, the big map game at the end of term. Uh, it's, it's almost a signature of mine now. I, I think both of those, Mythic and The Quiet Year, both of them genius and in very different ways. Uh, but I, I just didn't think that role-playing games could, could be reinvented like this, but, but it has been twice. Uh, so if anyone hasn't heard of either of those, uh, highly, highly, highly recommend. Genius. I've not heard of either of those, but I'm aware of uh, Einschwan, and I can see how structure and that narrative prompts would appeal to you, particularly in your experience of producing the uh, podcast. Right. It's funny. I don't use a GM emulator, even though I do this solo play podcast. And the only reason is I didn't I didn't know that there was a, a solo scene. Uh, I, I came in completely ignorant and blind. Uh, so I'd never heard of Mythic and, and probably several months into making the show, I learned about Mythic. Uh, but by then, 
the format was set and it was working and I didn't want to make some abrupt change where I brought in a whole bunch of mechanics. Uh, and, and again, especially with the show being an audio medium, I'm really conscious of it's got to be, it's got to be very, very simple. It's got to be brief and simple and snappy. Um, because I'm asking for, I, I'm, I'm reaching people through just the one channel of audio. Um, and maybe it's because, uh, I, I teach for a living. Uh, I, I know that too much information can make people numb to what you're saying. So it's got to be very, very simple, simple, easy, easy, easy. Actually, that's why I use BX. I, I don't have any, like I have a special love for BX, but the reason I chose it is the simplicity. I, I could have used advanced Dungeons and Dragons or or, or 5e or, or whatever, um, but BX is just the right one for, for radio, so to speak. Uh, as far as I can tell. On behalf of all of us here and um, all of us who couldn't make it this week, thank you very much, John. It's been great listening to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all the support you've shown. And uh, of course, I'm a regular listener of your show, so I hope uh, I hope you never stop. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Thunderfate! Welcome to the room of role-playing rumbling. Believe it or not, we're back in the Lassagore. It's like having a drink after longest drought. Hello there, by the hell, Dirk. I can't believe it. Have we managed this? We're I back know, in the pub. We're back in the pub. Back in the pub. And I've asked the band to turn the music down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've, we've asked them because he said that it's complaints. It was a bit too loud, wasn't it? It was a bit too loud. And it was like... What was he say about like uh, Latin jazz? Latin, yeah, Latin jazz, yeah, yeah. Not, not the normal kind of thing. People normally want Elvis Costello, early period Oasis. So we spurred you some Latin jazz, and we've yeah. got uh, time for Thunder Phase. We've asked our listeners to provide us with some questions, and we're just going to go through them. Got them all on a uh, yeah. series of cards there. Yeah. I've shuffled them. Hang on, let's give them a bit of a shuffle. Yeah, here we go. So they're apparently at random. Shall I read the first one? You read the first one. Okay, of course. Yeah. Uh, this one is from Steph. Ooh. GM using accents, voices, yay or nay. So that, I'll repeat that for the hard of uh, thinking. That's a GM using uh, accents, voices, yay or nay. Well, See, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because when we played Steph's game, he did accents. He didn't did, he? didn't he? He was very good at them, wasn't he? He was. I, I worry about accents because... I can do a bit, I can do a variety of accents. Go on, what's your but, but they very, very quickly turn into a different accent if I'm not careful. So this is sustaining it. But my problem with it is sustaining it. Yeah. Because I can do like an Irish accent. Before I know it, it turns into Billy Connolly. And you're yeah. thinking, oh, no, it's changed. So I think that's the, the problem. And also, yeah. I'll tell you what another problem is. As you know, online we play with yeah. an international audience. One of the problems is if you're playing with American people, you do an American accent, and they're thinking, do you, do you sound like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins? Do you do the American equivalent of Dick Van Dyke? That's I, I was going to mention the same thing because <laughs> I 
I feel quite confident doing you do, like accents with people I know. Yeah. But I think with online gaming and playing with people across the universe, yeah. you encounter people that you're thinking, I, I, I can't with all good conscience yeah. do an Irish accent because I'll sound like, you know. <laughs> It'll quickly, quickly move into parody. Won't it will, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, and all that. that's, that's the worry, isn't it? It depends on the game, I suppose, as well. Some games where it, there's a bit of, where they're a bit, bit more lighthearted, get away with it. But again, something a bit more earnest would, would you try to do I, th- I think what we both do is a switch between, don't we? Yeah. So we switch between doing the voices and then a bit of reported speech. So yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. I do so. a bit of the voice, but... Because I was, as we've discussed before, I always think doing the voices all the time descends into the amateur dramatics thing. And the game becomes something else as well. And it can be a bit off-putting for people as well because not yeah. everyone's confident about doing it in character, are they? No. So I think, like I said, it's all right to do bits of an accent. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I suppose it's great. If you, if you can do it, then it's all right, isn't it? But I, I don't know if everyone can. What I've, what I've started doing, though, is rather than using accents, it's just vary the tone of my voice to indicate different characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. I've got... A, I've started to develop a range that they don't necessarily have an accent, but they're very... Yeah. They, they have, like, a bit of a vote. Um, a vocal quirk. Yeah, I can do a bit of an accent, but I can't do a long term. There is the risk no. it will shift into. We go from New York to Texan yes. to Midwest, and then, yeah. you know, yeah. to Welsh, <laughs> to Welsh, yeah. to, to, to Welsh, and then to Billy Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go on, you uh, go Thunderface. We need to thunder, do that. Thunderface, yes. Thunder, thunder. Yeah. Oh, right, we have to read your handwriting. What stuff? did you used to do that you don't do anymore i presume this is referring to role playing yes <laughs> and uh, we're not we're not going to ask mrs blithy about this <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a that's a good question isn't it um what did i do that i don't well, so I, I, I suppose it's about learning isn't it mm. what have well, you learned yeah, I suppose, yeah. yeah yeah through uh, experience mm. go on have you got one well, I suppose one, one thing I don't do anymore, but it's not quite a set right? We don't, don't really worry about miniatures or anything like that anymore. Yeah. We, don't, we used to, I think when we were younger, we used to worry about all that kind of thing, and I don't anymore. Yeah. I suppose the one thing I, I... I think what I used to do, and I try not to do it now, is I, I used to kind of, as a games master, I used to kind of shoulder it all. So I used to feel as a games master... I had to provide everything yes. for this game. Yeah. Yeah. And what I do now is, and, and I'm doing it at the moment because I'm preparing a couple of Monster of the Week games, one for Expo and one for GoPlay. Um, and that's a game where you look at it and think, all right, I've got a scenario and I've got some scenes and I've got a plot and I know what's happening and I've got some notes, so it's all there. And if the players just sit there looking at me dumbly, something will happen. But equally, I'm thinking some of the gaps here are going to be filled by the players. There's yes. a bit of fluidity to it, yeah. which I didn't used to do. I used to be very, it's all on me. It's all on me to provide them with entertainment. But I suppose what I've learned now is that's not necessarily the case. It is on me as a games master to provide a scenario. I'm not saying turn up and go, well, it's just all improvised. Yeah. 
but there are certain sort of not gaps but certain points in a scenario now that I look at and think that'll be okay because the players will fill that gap yes it's given them it's given them some stuff and generally they'll fill it and then also I'll kind of run with it a bit and it'll be okay whereas I think along in years gone by I would never have done that I would have everything nailed down I can see that I can see that in playing your games now that you are more open to letting the players run with an idea um, rather than having uh, control I think um, an instinct has changed I think I used to feel and I can can sense this um, fairly recently that you know the revealing stuff to the players Mm. I always had a sense that things should be like um, uh, uh, not a trick or a twist but somehow they'd have to discover it and everybody go ah Mm. and that to me was like the ultimate (laughs) goal (laughs) the big reveal the big reveal yeah Ah. yeah. setting up the big reveal yeah Yeah. ah I was aiming for that yeah. uh, essentially you know, like uh, <laughs> uh, I'm M. Night Shyamalan whatever it's called it was the sixth sense the sixth. oh <laughs> right and there is some pleasure in getting that but mm. I think what I'm more uh, open to doing is uh, showing the players everything that's yeah. there and then discovering it and being less precious about oh I'm held some of this back because I want you to yeah. discover it, and that comes from experience. Because what you realise is, if you start to if you start to set things up in a game where you think, ah, right, I want the big reveal, or I want this, or I want that to happen, generally you can be disappointed because it won't happen like that. Yeah. And again, I suppose that comes back to what I'm saying. That yeah, it's our sense of control, isn't it? That you, you set up a scenario and you think, now, now I want at this point. An hour from the end, I want this to happen and it to be a big reveal. And then when it doesn't, you feel slightly deflated. Yeah. But what you learn, I suppose, is... Yeah. I, and you know what? I think that's something that we've learned over the last five years, isn't it? It's not something that's different from when we were kids yeah. to now. It's something that we've learned through practice oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. over the last yeah, five years. Getting back into the hobby, I think I did that. That of trying to nail everything down. Yeah, definitely. There's a good phrase I read somewhere. You might know who said it that no scenario survives contact with the players yeah. no scenario survives first contact with the players and that is true once you want to get your head around that I think it took me a bit to get my head around that because I wanted it to be I used to want scenarios to be as I planned them I think it's a, they're not. it's a variation of Mike Tyson's famous saying that everyone's got a plan until you hit in the face <laughs> go on next one when are we getting a Flashing Blades episode? And this is from... Who's this from? Oh, yeah, Kia. Really? Kia. Um, are we? <laughs> I, think we I think we should. And there's something that attracts me to that whole uh, Three Musketeers setting. Yeah. But, but we have reached a point, haven't we, Blythe, in this podcast cycle? Mm. We've been talking about this, haven't we, off mic recently, that... We never talk about a game that we've not played, yeah. but we're now reaching a diminishing bottleneck yeah. where there's fewer games that we've played that we can talk about. Yeah. So we need to make time to play more games. Yeah. And we're already playing we're a lot already, of games. We're playing a lot of games that just 
the games we're playing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which may not be games that we want to talk about on the podcast, or we may have already talked about them. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Flashing Blades would be good because there are a few games like that, aren't there? I mean, there's there's yeah. Flashing Blades. I've got a game, a little game called Seventeenth Century Minimalist. Oh yes, which is a, yeah. you know, like a Musketeers type game. And then there's is On Guard, isn't there? Yeah, which is interesting because we did we did play On Guard. Yeah, but it's a bit. It's not. I mean, whether it's a role playing game, it's a an odd one, isn't it? No, it's probably closer to Aegon than uh, it is to yeah, uh, yeah. A, 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 a flashy bullets. Yeah. Yeah. And there's things like Seven C and those kind of 17, 16th, 17th, 18th century type piracy games. So. It's quite attractive, that swashbuckling world. Yeah. I believe that it's got a, a rock, paper, scissors type mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Which so you never know, Clarky, you might get what you, you wish You might get it, yeah. But be careful what you wish for, because who knows what we'll say about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go on, next question. Next one. Oh, right, okay. This is from Jim from The Raspy Raven. The Raspy Raven. Have either of you ever completely or heavily improvised a session? How did it go? Looking back, why was it a success or a failure? And what would you have done differently? Yeah. I'm not sure I am. We've talked about loosening up control. Yeah, you, yeah. You, I'm you, not like really. to, you like to have some degree, don't you? Well, structure. as I've said before, one of my strange quirks of role playing is I do quite extensive notes, and then when I'm running the game, don't look at them. Apart from the monster stats, obviously, you look at those, but the notes I've made, I think, I'm not, I've not even looked at the notes. No. But that's not, but that's not improvising. Yeah. I think, I think you, back in the day, I think you used to improvise a lot. I used to do it all the time. Mm. Yeah. Back when we were kids, I remember you improvising a lot because some of the plots in your RuneQuest games got so incredibly convoluted that at the time, I don't think I realised. But now, looking back, you were just improvising. That's why they got so complicated. It didn't make sense. Stop making sense. It was a bit like lost. You know, yeah. I started off with a concept yeah. and I had no way of concluding it. No, it was really good, really compelling, really intriguing, but actually couldn't tie it, it all no together sense. at the end. <laughs> and and I, I, I mean, define improvising, because I think to some extent we all have to improvise, like we were yeah. saying earlier, the points aren't there where you hand over to the players, the players yeah. can, yeah. Uh, and you have to make it up. I think the only recent um, and I say recent, it's a few years ago now, fully improvised game was that game of Blades in the Dark that I did over 12 hours. Yeah, uh, you, did, yeah, you, yeah. Didn't, you didn't play yeah. that, did you? But I literally had nothing. There was nothing there. But I say there's nothing, but the game mechanics provide everything to you, don't they? And I think that's an interesting thing, isn't it, that some games are like Blades in the Dark is, is designed almost to be improvised because the structure and the cycles of play and all those kind of things that make it a bit odd in terms of a role-playing game. So some people react, not badly, but, but react to it a bit. You know, it's not, it doesn't really feel like a role-playing game. It feels no. more like a kind of board game in some respects, but it has role-playing elements to it. But those structures support improvisation, don't they? Yeah. It's not as though it's a game of Call Cthulhu, for example, where you go, okay, you're in New York, it's 1920, what's, let's see what happens. I mean, that just seems like a really odd thing to do if you improvised yes. Call of Cthulhu. What would you, what would you do? But well, you sit down and you have nothing. Yeah. But you just improvise. But I think Blaze in the Dark, by its very design, 
lets you do that, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And it is an intriguing idea because I've got, I've got a game called Dungeon World. Dungeon World, which is powered by the apocalypse, that has an improvisation thing where it, I think you, you start in a room in a dungeon and you work it from there, you build it from there. But that, it always, I don't know, it makes me feel slightly nervous. Yeah. I suppose you could improvise a, du- a dungeon bash kind of game, you could improvise. But there's certainly some games you'd think, I'm not sure that would work. One of the things of doing uh, Bleds in the Dark over to stay in period of time is that you can have callbacks to earlier scenes and earlier characters and bring them back into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a problem with improvising, though, is that inevitably, I, I don't think people are as good at improvising as they think they are. Because <laughs> I think you always end up going to default places where you feel comfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's improv, but ultimately we're just going to go to a comfortable position where you think, wow, I do this kind of thing all the time. Therefore, yeah. 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 If, if and I think I've, I've done that where, as you say, in a scenario where it's all gone a little bit off the rails and you then start to default to certain tactics and certain scenes that seem... Yeah you know, to get you through it, I suppose. If if a box turns up, you know that... <laughs> well, Dirk is improvising. <laughs> I'm improvising. You know that I've got nothing. <laughs> if you present him with a box. Oh, right, OK. And the box is moving. Oh, it's right. like a cat, isn't it? You know, there's a yeah. scenario in the box, and also there's not a scenario in the box. At the same time... Yeah. Whose turn is it? It's it, my, is it my It's yours, it's yeah. It's your turn. Yeah. OK. This is from uh, Dave F. Who would you convert to the hobby and why? It could be a famous person or someone you know. I always think it'd be interesting to try and convert Danny Minogue. <laughs> Only because I convert Kylie and then we, we play D and D. What could be better? I, no, I think it could famously or infamously. Danny Minot fell out with Jack Vilner, apparently because he kept playing Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Yeah, so, yeah. Is that true? You're not improvising now? I'm improvising. There's no box involved. Jack Villeneuve? Jack Villeneuve. Is he, is he, is he a racing driver? A racing driver. So he's a great Formula One racing driver. One of those high-octane careers in the world. And yet, he still liked to go with the day. That's the reason why she broke up with him. Because right. she was after some bedroom action or whatever... And he said, no, I'm, I'm on board with an 11th level. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I believe, I think, I, I think she got it wrong. I think she, it was a it was a, a computer game and she kind of boxed it into it. He ah, might, have, right, okay. he might have been playing Doom or something. And surely Grunter She's doing a driving game. Jack Vilner. That's a bit. Would, would Jack, would, if you were Jack Vilner, would you do a driving game? Because isn't the worry you'd be rubbish at it and think, but I'm a Formula One racing driver, but I can't do, you know, you know what I mean? I, I, I think, I it's think like getting Brian May to do Guitar Hero and finding out he's no good at it. Same thing, isn't it? I, I think she thought Doom was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I see. All and right. that's why I'd want to invite her around to, 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 to show say, her. This is Dungeons and Dragons. Danny, this is Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe she might have had an epiphany. Yeah. Well, all oh, right, okay. Yeah, right, maybe wrong. Dungeons and Dragons isn't that bad. Stop falling out with Jack. <laughs> Jack Villeneuve. I don't know who I'd convert. I don't know. I don't even want to convert people anymore. This is the interesting thing. Yeah. I think 
Is it the person I think is bordering on conversion? <laughs> my daughter, my daughter who, who is a big, she's a big fan of computer games. She's yeah. a big fan of the kind of TV shows I like. Uh, but she's only do role play. But she has said, if I buy the Free League Walking Dead game, she will give that a go. So have you bought it? No, no, I will. I might do when it's. I'm not backed it, but I might. I might buy it. Yeah. When it's in um, when it's, it's retail, when yeah. it's available. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because when you read that question out, you immediately think, "Ah, yes, yes, I'll convert people, of course." But I'm not sure I do want to convert people anymore. I don't care. No, we, we've we've gone from converting people when we were younger to necromancy, awakening the dead, isn't it? You know, people mm. who were already already playing, converted, already yeah, yeah, just, yeah, 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 the dead. <laughs> I, I I think you on a. It's difficult to convert people. It's like uh, Dirk Junior. Yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if he was into well, but would it? Would it? Because my dad was into. Uh, model railways and he used to take yeah. me to these model railway things I had no interest in it whatsoever I think yeah. for Dirt Junior he gets his pleasure out of trying to get a, yeah. a noise out of a light bulb and sampling it yeah and, yeah yeah it's just, let, him, let him do that yeah. and I'll do my thing I know what you mean and I think we spent a lot lot of time in our youth trying to convert um girlfriends and wives and all sorts of people to role yeah. play it never it never worked and actually it could be a bit depressive you can get a bit down I think, yeah, because I can remember that where you you sit down and you think, okay, I'm going to do D and D, and these people are going to love it, and they don't love it, and yeah. then you leave thinking, oh God, oh, did would I do something wrong? But why do that? Yeah. Why don't they love it? I love it. Why don't they love it? How can they not love it? And and it leaves you sort of feeling a little bit sort of deflated. Yeah. So I'm at, I'm at the point now where you think, well, there's lots of people around who we know who like it yeah. and play it. So. If people want to play it, fine, but they don't really have to convert. Stick you know. to necromancy. Stick ne- to necromancy, ne- yeah. Next question. People say it's a dying art, but I'm not so sure. We've not done Thunder Phase for a bit. Do you want to do Thunder Phase? Right, ready. Thunder, Thunder Phase! phase. <laughs> Just edit that in. Yeah. What This is from Vaughn. What things wind you up from players and or from GMs? Pet peeves, irration, irrational... Irritations. <laughs> oh, right. How long have we got? How long have we got? It's a new podcast in this, isn't it? <laughs> but it's the though, because I'm quite, uh, I'm quite yeah. accommodating. I am more laid back now about gaming than ever. So one of my one of my pet peeves was used to be when people gave their characters stupid news. Yes, yeah, it really irritated me. People will give you, you set up a scenario, you've got this world, you've got these characters, you, you, as a GM, you've done whatever. And even, I suppose, as a player, and then somebody gives their character a stupid name, and you think, oh, come on. Because well, once but, you've done that, it, it sort of breaks. But, but I, don't, I don't think I care now. I don't care now. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, whatever, yeah. Yeah. So you've got like a high fantasy setting and they call the character Derek or something. Derek or, or something a bit daft, you know, like Deathblade Derek, something, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. And you think, oh, you know, yeah. But now, I, I suppose now I'm more laid back about it, but that certainly used to be one of my pet hates. That, that player, and I know the GM should be impartial, but that player was a target. You made yourself a target in my game if you do that. Not, not now, though. Now I don't. 
yeah. I just think, yeah, well, whatever, yeah, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> one, one of the intestines I have, and I still hold it, and don't encounter it a lot, but you do encounter it, is that thing where people feel that you're responsible if a dice rolls incorrectly. <laughs> as though it's some slight upon you as a person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's not very good, is it? I've got, yeah. a 70, I've got an 80% chance of doing this. You roll the dice and you roll the 82. It's just a, oh, oh no. Like, yeah, I know, but <laughs> I had an 80% chance. This is just dice, you know. Yeah. So... <laughs> Oh, you're not you're not doing very well, are you? That kind of, oh, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, it, 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 that that can sometimes needle me. And, <laughs> and the converse is true: the people who feel very smug when things punch are going the in their way, punch the air. Yeah, or, or not so much punch the air. They say, "Ah, there you go. That's how you do it." Oh, oh yeah, that irritates me a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we have met people who do that. I'll show you do it. That's how you do it. Well, it's not how you do it, is it? It's just, we both had a 50% chance. We rolled a D100 each. I rolled 63 and you rolled 45. It's not, yeah. that's how you do it, is it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The boys are back in town. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that, that is annoying. Yeah, that, that is annoying. Yeah, the, and, and there's the always a off attitude because you've rolled the dice well. <laughs> there's always an element of that and some of it is kind of <laughs> low-level bounce, isn't it? Yeah. But it's when it becomes ingrained. Yeah. And it also, when, when the dice are against you, and they are random, so, <laughs> so they're not really against you. They're not really against you. <laughs> they're not really against yeah. you because it is, it is random. <laughs> but that feeling, you know, that transcendental feeling that luck is not on your side. Yes. Yeah. That somehow the cosmos has decided yeah, that the, tonight... Tonight's the night when you're never going to make a yeah. roll. Yeah. And people start like, oh, right, okay. Right. Are you turning up today or what? You know, that yeah. kind of... Oh, yeah. if it's, uh, as if it's like a cricket match yeah. and you keep dropping catches. <laughs> it's not, is it? It's not. I'm just rolling this polyhedral dice and it comes up with numbers. Yeah. There you go. So if I've got a pet peeve, that is... That is annoying, actually. Yeah, I, I would go along with it. Daft names. The worst player would be the player who gives, gives the character a daft name and then he's very, very smug about if only we knew somebody who was like oh, that. I need <laughs> Kevin. Right, here we go. Next one. Okay. Oh, this is a topical one, this. Oh, go on. A new Tunnels and Trolls. Are you interested? Oh, yeah. I saw this. Yeah, so, I saw an So this is in the news. Rebellion, the owners of yeah. 2000 AD and other uh, graphic novels, mm. have bought TNT, Tunnels and Trolls. I am interested, but it does raise an interesting secondary question doesn't it of I, I read the uh, post that they've done about it and yeah. they were a little bit cagey well my reading of it was a bit cagey about whether they're going to change it yeah because they, yeah. they didn't say they didn't say they were going to do that but they didn't say they weren't uh, yeah. I thought it was interesting you know and it's whether it because obviously Jason Kingsley who's the um, owner of uh, Rebellion he's got a background in um Role playing, he had um, Out in the Mist as a right. uh, fanzine, mm. which I found a copy of in the um, garage. Um, when I found all those um, fanzines in the garage a few uh, a few months ago, Out in the Mist was one of them. Um, so he's got a long time association as a role player and role playing gamer. So it'd be interesting to see mm. what he's doing. It's obviously like a passionate uh, idea that he's yeah. uh, come up with. So. Yeah. 
it's, uh, it's an interesting game, isn't it, Sunderland Trolls? Um, I mean, we, we, I kind of played we, we played it a bit a few years ago when I got the deluxe version. Yeah. Quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I've, I always enjoy it. It's... Uh, it's just a fun game, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's some fun. So yeah. just be interesting. That's a game where you, you, you could get away with a silly name for a character. Yeah. And it would be okay. Yeah. Wouldn't annoy me. Wouldn't annoy me in Tunnels and Trolls. It's to be encouraged. It's to be encouraged. Yeah. Right, whose turn is it? Is it mine? Is it mine? I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's three here. Three. These are from Fabio. Do you prefer tactical or narrative games? I oh, suppose. I, I, think, I think a mixture. Yeah, well, these days. The, well, this is a thing, isn't it? I just mentioned uh, fanzines mm-hmm. and finding these fanzines in my garage. And all of the d- debate back then in the uh, mid-80s, so early to mid-80s in these fanzines was about the idea of the role gamer, R-O-L-L, and the role gamer, R-O-L-E. Yeah, of course, yeah. And this idea that... Never the twinch on me. Never, you know, the, the, the people who are obsessed with the uh, tactical choices and the um, the Irvings who were just about mm. uh, killing monsters yeah. and uh, acquisition of stuff. Yeah, you know, they're they're, they're the spotty oiks, of, uh, <laughs> uh, and the whereas the purity was in the role gamer who was uh, exploring the character and the world building and that kind of thing. Yeah. Those debates have continued, haven't they, for uh, 30 yeah. odd years. And I think what happened with, it, while we were, while we were, in, we were in deep freeze, is that became indie games versus old school games. So indie games you ha- that had um, mechanics that supported R-O-L-E type play mm. compared with uh, role game. But I, I don't know, I'm, I'm with you, I think. It's halfway between. I like a bit both. I like a game that includes both elements. I think too tactical and, and it, it becomes too much like numbers on a sheet, that kind of thing. But yeah. equal to too narrative kind of can get a bit, it, it feels like something missing. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, we've said that, haven't we, about um, some of these formal games that are very much like Aegon we've mentioned, haven't we? Yeah. They, there's a place for them, and, and I've enjoyed playing yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But they are very abstracted. Yeah. And I like a bit of a halfway yeah, I, between. I, do. I like, I like to, to know like what my character can do and what dice I have to roll to do things. But equally, it's nice to have some narrative things where you can be a little bit creative. But, but equally, they, you know, kind of too narrative. I think in a way that's why I kind of fell out with fate eventually because yeah. I always felt a bit too narrative and I found that just a bit frustrating. Everything just becomes a bit loose and a bit like kind of put your, put your aspects into everything and I didn't quite yeah. get on with it in the end. Whereas, But, but equally, if it was just loads and loads of numbers on the sheet, that can be equally off. And, and I think I think Aegon and um, Blades in the Dark which we mentioned before, they at least try to frame it, don't they, and limit some of yeah, those, yeah. those choices. But even so, I, I sometimes find those are a bit, mm. it's probably a bit too much for me. And I think I think it's why I like free league games so much. Yeah. Because I think the free league games do a really good job, vase and tell some the loop, 
um, that kind of thing. A really good job of being narrative, particularly Vason. A good job of kind of being narrative, but equally, there's there's a bit of game in it as well. Yeah. A bit of dice rolling. You, you look at your character sheet, and it makes sense in terms of what dice you have to roll to do things and yeah. that kind of thing. But equally, there is some like, narrative aspects in it that you can play around with. So it's like in, in Vason, you've got that thing with the journey, haven't you? Where and preparation, where on the journey to the mystery, you can come up with. You meet an old friend, or, yeah. you, do, or you you know someone in the village. That the players are allowed a bit of narrative freedom, and that's good. But it's not all like that. There no. is it is locked down to some extent with a game. Is it is it about the levels then? So you know, there's that gritty level of you know the blow by blow of what's happening, and then there's a bit of a a higher level which is kind of overlooking the whole mm. field of play and then there's a again there's a higher higher level that's like a a very structuralist approach i think those those are the ones that i feel no i don't like them it's just i feel less comfortable with those well, highly structuralized ones and also i think they have a limited appeal because i think one of the things with heavily structured games is ultimately the structure can wear a bit thin Yes, yeah. And get a bit tedious because you think, oh, it's this endless, it's this cycle, isn't it? And I know this sounds a bit odd because you could argue that all role-playing games are the same cycle. Yeah. Oh, there's a haunted house on the hill. We'll have to go there and investigate. It's the same thing in a lot. Yeah. Every game's got a dungeon in. It might not be a dungeon. It might be a building you've got to get into. So I think we commented on this when we played Mass on Athletan. Yeah. It always had the same cycle of you investigated then there was a location you had to get into. Yes. And you got into the location and you found clues in the location. Then you went to Egypt and ultimately there was a location. You had to get in there. In fact, and we thought, yeah, the same thing. So I know all games have cycled. Yeah, investigative phase. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Breaking phase and then confrontation. But I suppose what what you're saying is when that structure and cycle is really prominent, it perhaps becomes a, wears a bit thin. Yeah, or, or there's like an expectation that everybody has to talk around it. Yeah, so you yeah. set the framework out yeah. and right, pretend it doesn't exist. Well, no, <laughs> well, you're very aware that it exists. So mm. okay, let's set out what we want to happen in this yeah. scene, and yeah. we'll put these things here. And and I know that all that's going on, even at like a lower table yeah. level, yeah. when you're rolling a blow by a blow. But there is something about Right, let's set this out. So in this conflict, one of the outcomes you want is this to achieve. Yeah. And, okay, let's roll to see that hasn't been successful. Therefore, that level of abstraction I have difficulty with sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think I agree. I agree. Generally, it's it's the there's a sweet spot, isn't there? Of there tactical is tactical and narrative in a game. And some games are too tactical and some games are too narrative. But I, just that... Bit in the middle, where you think there's a bit of both. There. Yeah, there's and nothing. There's enough going on. Enough going on narratively. I've got a bit of freedom narratively, which is great. But also, I've got a fallback of a tactical, yeah, game rules kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes that's determined by not just by the mechanics. It's about the world that you're in and how comfortable you feel in that setting and world and mm. the choices that you make. Anyway, what's the next one? Second question from Fabio. Cheeky three here. Cheeky three. Cheeky three. Cheeky three. She's a bit cheeky. 
But then we say it's cheeky, but we're letting, we're letting get away with it. We, yeah. Well, it's up to us, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it's not his fault. Is there, to question two, is there a snobbery against D&D in our community? I like how you've written D&D. D&D 5E, isn't it? Well, is it? Is it? I don't yeah, five eight. I, I think I missed off. Five oh eight. right, okay. Is there a snobbery against D and D five A in our community? Mm. So there's a lot to unpick, though, isn't there? <laughs> there's a lot to unpick. Our, com- the our community, our community, our community. Let's start with our community. What do, what community is this? Does he mean by Does he mean by that? I suspect I may be wrong, but I suspect what he means by that is. Old timer gamers, old so people yeah. who have been into it for a long time, either caught back into it or been into it for a long time. And Five E comes along, and Five E is very popular with the youth, isn't it? Yeah, it's popular with the youth. Is it a snobbery based on I've got dice older than you, etc., etc., that kind of thing? Yeah. So yeah. is that? Um, yeah, it goes back to the fanzines again, isn't it? the Irvings. I encountered this a little bit. You know, when we first started the uh, podcast, episode six, we started talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And it has to be said that Dungeons and Dragons were, has never really been front and centre part of our world, ever, has it? It's never... A... Well, I would say it's more front and centre now than it ever has. Yeah, exactly. Because not so much fifth edition, but, you know, as I recently discovered Dungeon Crawl classics, yeah. old school essentials, yeah. they're all versions of D&D. I would say D and D is now more significant on yeah. my gaming landscape than ever because I am playing and enjoy some of those D and D variants, if you like. And when when we go back to that episode six, we were enthusiastic about D and D because you said, and I quote, "I know what I said." You're going to quote it. I think I said, "It's the D and D. It's the game I always wanted D and D to be." Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. 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 And we were criticised. We got comments to say, <laughs> "I do hope that this new trend of talking about Five uh, E does not continue, because this is meant to be an old school mm. uh, podcast." What we found is that we played it a bit too much, didn't we? And we started getting, we did, to, I, I getting to the reads of it a bit, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And that's part of it as well. There's that thing of the personal experience kicking in, isn't it, where we played Storm King's Thunder. And then I ran Storm King's Thunder. Yeah. I went to and then did Dragon Heist. Where, and I think I said to you, by the time I'd run both those campaigns, which was probably about three or four years, wasn't it? Yeah. I said, I've never want to play a fifth edition again. But that's not really 5th edition's fault. I suppose that's just the fact we played a hell of a lot yeah, of it, didn't we? We played a lot of it. Yeah. And I suppose, is it reflected in, you know, when we look at Grogme, at Grogme a few years ago, you'd always get at least one D&D 5e. Yeah. Now you, you never get them. No. But I think it's there's a lot of games out there, aren't there? Yeah, I, I think it's a snobbery thing. I think it's more the fact that D&D, D&D 5th edition is what it is. Yeah. It does a particular thing. And you could argue it does it well. But it doesn't do everything. It it no. does a kind of high fantasy, powered up, tactical, superhero type game, really, isn't it? That's oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. If I if you're doing this, then I, that yeah, means... Yeah, yeah, if you can do that, I've got a reaction, and I can do this and that, and then I can have a free reaction. Yeah, and, and it turns out that I've got a hat that yeah. I can put on at this point. Yeah. That means that I can float above this yeah. and avoid it. But, but, that is what it is. I suppose the snobbery kicks in because it's very popular. 
Yeah. It's that problem, isn't it? Yeah. It's very popular. And it is people's first port of call into The Hobbit. Yeah. And there's that thing where people will just stay with 5th edition, so there are people who just play D&D. Yeah. That's all they play. And that's sort of where that snobbery comes from. People yeah. look down at people go, oh, you know, you're just... That's all you play. Oh, yeah. there's far more to The Hobbit than that. That's it. It's not only the game's fault, and it's not playing the game, because if you have a game of 5th edition, you know what you're getting, because that, that's what it is. You yeah. know, it's like it, it's like complaining that a curry's too spicy. Well, it's, curry is spicy. That's what it is. And, and also, it's this assumption that everybody has to be a hobbyist as well. Yeah. It's perfectly yeah. acceptable, yeah. isn't it, to play yeah. a game. Yeah. You know, just have it as something that you do, rather than yeah. being... Absorbed and yeah, totally yeah. obsessed, and it's spending all spending week. every waking hour thinking regarding <laughs> podcasts in pubs about it. Yeah, or submitting three questions, Fabio. <laughs> three, three questions. Three, three. What's the third question? Yeah, third question. Three question. Three question. Three. You have a positive love of RPGs, <laughs> but are there any that don't float your boat? I think one one game that doesn't float my boat, and and I again the the odd thing about this podcast is it is a record of our contradictions and yeah. changing opinions. But I think one that doesn't float my boat now is probably fate. Right. I went through a strange kind of relationship with it where I got into it. I thought it was really good. Then I played it a few times and eventually started to think, "How much is that good?" Because yeah. it annoys me um, that the aspects. It, it makes heavy weather of a role-playing game for no discernible benefit. Yeah. I think, like you said, the rules read like a self-help manual. Yeah. And ultimately, when you come out the other side, you think, I don't think that's any better than any other role-playing no, game. No. And yet it seems like hard work. It seems hard work to play. It's hard work to run. And it does the thing of assuming that you... You can always come up with conditions. You can always come up with compels and you can switch around your fate point and I, I just think it's hard work and it might might float some people's boat for me it doesn't the games that don't float my boat is it's usually you know when I look at like a convention list so you go to a convention you look, look down the list it, it it usually is the horror ones and I'm not squeamish mm, yeah but there are ones that I just think oh, do I want to I'm not, I'm not sure how, how keen I am with that cult and those kind of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And I suppose there's a difference. Yeah, that's an interesting difference, though, isn't it? That I suppose what I've focused on is the system. Because there are games where the system might be great, but I suppose you look at the content or the theme of it and think, nah, not, not for me. Yeah. You know, which is different from Fate, for example, because it's a generic system. You could... You could construct a, a setting that would really appeal to me. But yeah. Begs the question: Would would the system appeal to me if it was in a setting? I'm quite open-minded about um, systems. It, for me, it is about um, setup. Yeah. You know, so yeah. If I read a pitch that said, you know, you are Winnie the Pooh and his chums going oh, through yeah, a hundred acre yeah, wood, yeah. and you yeah. are, a, it's setting that the is setting. Horror. Set in the cast of uh, Desperate Housewives or whatever, and you know, you know, yeah, some of, of that kind of rubbish. I, I know what you mean. I recoil from that where someone's gone completely gonzo and wacky, and well, I, you you are playing the fireman from Trumpton. 
you know, he, yeah. he, Barney McGrew, you know, it's for specifically for seven players. You must play the fighter, you're playing the fireman truck. <laughs> Do you remember when we, we went to, to that, that stab, stab come and <laughs> the only thing left. <laughs> She said to us, we said, any role-playing games? Because it was a board game. So, any role-playing games? She went, oh, they're, they're on the board. They're yeah. on the board. It's quite dismissive. Yeah. Um, and we looked. It was Trumped and the role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we both thought, oh, no, my God. God. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do me a favour. You remember the Wendy and Midland? And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that people have a lot of fun playing those <laughs> yeah, type of games. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, cool. But it doesn't float no, my boat. It doesn't float our boat. There right, you okay, go. Okay, here we go. Next one. Will, oh, this is from Old Skies RPG, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, Neil. Okay. okay. Right. And this is very specific, this one. Okay. Will you ever run a sequel of the Luther Arkwright from Convergence 2017? Only you can answer this question because you ran it. I can't, I can't comment. Well, it's a, I suppose a general approach is running sequels, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Are there any games in your repertoire that you would like to... You're not a sequel person, though, are you? You're, you're, no. you're a fire and forget, aren't you? <laughs> well, one shots and then mini mini campaigns, yeah. 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 Don't do the series. You do the kind of convention, three games in a convention thing. I yeah. don't tend not to do that. Yeah. yeah. I like I like the I like the idea of doing a revival of that um, mm. Luther Arkwright thing because it it's quite memorable because it's quite a long session. And uh, we met a lot of new people for yeah, the first yeah, time. Yeah, it was good. It was a convergence, wasn't it? Yeah, Stockport, yeah. yeah. Stockport, yeah. 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 But I, I do like going back to old characters. It'd be good to see them sometime later and uh, revisit them. And again, you know, like I was saying earlier, there's some pleasures to be had in having callbacks. Yeah. 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 Although with a the, with the sequel, there is always the problem. You can it, it, So much time can be lapsed. Are you forgotten? Do, well, you've forgotten also, you just don't, you don't, it doesn't float your boat. It doesn't float your boat anymore. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to do a sequel? I think I, I think I will. It'd be good, wouldn't it, to do it? Uh, yeah. At a yeah. particular point in time to regroup mm. those people who did it. Because yeah. you had a shared experience yeah. at that particular point and revisit it. I think there's something to be said to that. There you go. It's, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, old ghoster. It's going to happen. <laughs> Go on, next one. Next one. Oh, it's from Wayne Peters. Okay. Have you have ever had a bad session that was entirely your fault? Oh. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly question. <laughs> oh. It's, it's so much a perception thing, isn't it? Because I can't remember many bad sessions. But where it's been a bad session, it's been a combination of things that have occurred during that session or some bad behaviour of somebody that you've taken against. I think, I think sometimes um, my World of Darkness experience at Expo. Yeah. Very well, formative, this. Very formative. It was very formative. But I sometimes look back on that and think, was that really my fault? Because I could have, and this is an interesting kind of take on it. Because I think the spirit of the question is, and this is this is common experience of a bad session. Your game mastering, it all goes wrong. Something goes wrong. You lose control of it. Some of the players are difficult, and you think, "Well, oh, 
it's all my fault, really. I should have taken control. There's always that. Going back to what I was saying earlier, that sense of the games master's in control of the game, therefore a bad session as a games master's fault. The games master's lost control of it or not done what they should have done. But I sometimes wonder whether, as a player in that World of Darkness game at Expo, which was, was terrible. But it was terrible because I didn't really take control of it. Yeah. You know, I, I should have engaged a bit more with it and taken control. And when the games master said to me at the interval, are you, are you all right, are you enjoying it? I should have said, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not because certain players are quite uh, domineering and a bit in your face. And I'm not enjoying it. And I don't think the guy next to me is enjoying it either because it seemed a bit like me. He seemed a bit put off by it. And I think, in a way, maybe ultimately it's tempting to think, it's the other people's fault for being like that. Well, really, maybe it's my fault as a player for not, yeah. being, can, not being open and saying, not really enjoying it because of the behaviour of one player in particular and the way that that's influencing some of the other players. Yeah. I think, and I did, and I didn't. I just said, yeah, yeah, I, I'm fine, and just carried on. And really, that's my fault, actually. Yeah. It? I think you, as a player, you have more capacity to... Um, destroy a game than a games master. Yeah, yeah, you do really. Yeah, yeah. Because as a games master, sometimes you were, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, if it's getting out of control, just stick a box in it. Stick, stick, stick a stick a box in it. Absolutely. And then you yeah. back but I do, I do wonder. Well, looking back now, as you say, very formative experience. But I wonder whether, really, I could have done more to rein that game in a bit. Yeah, but I didn't, so it just got worse and worse and worse. Right, let's have another one. It's your turn. Is it? Right. I think it is. Right. Yeah, it is. We've lost. We've lost turn. The, the turn order's gone, hasn't it? It's yeah. like roll twenty. The API's gone. The roll. The API's the gone. API's gone. Yeah. Uh, oh, let me just uh, to let you talk again. Oh, I'm gone. Uh, well, I'm not in this one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. What accoutrements? Accoutrements. I didn't expect to be saying accoutrements. Accoutrements. After th- Is that how you pronounce that, Kira? I don't know. I'd rather I start something else. What's that? Would you rather I start something else? Oh, no, no, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Right. Don't, worry, fine. don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. We just recorded something, so it's fine. Uh, no, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, you're okay. If you can put up with us. Right, so. you have to put up with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at mine. I'm just coming down on a train. I'm looking yeah. at a pint. Yeah, you, you enjoy your pint. Uh, so what accoutrements do you need at the gaming table as a GM and player to ensure you have an enjoyable experience? And this is from Shannon from Canada. Games Master Screen. It's interesting you say about Games Master Screen mm. because I went to a convention earlier this year yeah. and the Games Master had a Games Master Screen and he folded it up. I'm not going to Folded put... it? And he said... He what, said, brought it to fold it up? Yeah, folded it up so he could get reference it. And he said... I'm not going to put a screen between me. Oh, I am. I am. I am. I felt, I felt rather, you know, ashamed. Did you? I felt ashamed. I don't. By my, you know, a bit like Adam, you know, that I felt I had to cover no, myself up I with think it. I'm all in favour of it. I don't mind a screen. If games right, I don't mind. Why would I mind? Well, you get a minute. But what are you hiding behind there? Well, the notes and the monster stats. Because you don't want to see those, because it spoils it. it. Is it not like a, 
Uh, the Wizard of Oz. No. And you just uh, behind no, the curtain. No, it's not like Wizard of Oz. And you, you're just playing a game with your mates. It's all right. <laughs> stop, stop, stop making this psycho driver out of it. It's just a piece of cardboard with some tables oh, on it. I don't feel quite, quite handy to have. And also, it means they can't see you know. Yeah. See, I was uh, cured of my <laughs> blink. I was cured of my blink thanks to Albert and mm. the Wizard staff. Yeah. Because I spent a lot of time. I don't even remember. I did a game of Vert. Oh, yeah. And uh, I created a lot of uh, cards, laminated them. I, I spent a lot of time creating uh, character sheets mm. and uh, making sure that they were illustrated and yeah. finely tuned with a lot of uh, background uh, information. And I created a lot of like, little props and everything, a lot, mm. of, uh, a lot of blink. It didn't go great. It, didn't, yeah. it didn't, wasn't a great... Think the, the blink, the accoutrements did not help. The accoutrements did I even, not help. I even stuck a box in it, and that didn't help either. <laughs> it was <laughs> the the accoutrements really kind of concealed the fact that there wasn't a lot to it. Or <laughs> yeah, earlier that day played the strange yeah cipher system, mm. similar setup. He wrote on a piece of A4. Yeah. The characters. He didn't even have a pair of scissors. He he he, he ripped yeah. them. Yeah. Handed them over to us yeah, on a yeah. little strip. And that was a really great three hours. <sighs> and I think uh, joking apart, although I, I like a game across the screen, I, I I know what you mean. I I don't think you need anything really. Some of the best games I've ever played and the best games I've run have had have had no accoutrements at all. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm running Monster of the Week at Expo, and that's a game where it's all theatre of the mind. There's, I'm not going to Games Master screen for it because there isn't one, and it'll just be people sitting around the table with some dice and some character sheets, and it will it will be okay. It'll be fine. I've run that game before and I've played that game before. And there's very little in the way of yeah. accoutrements and yeah. bling, and, uh, and it's. Fine. I think there's also a kind of an arms race as well that can sometimes yeah, occur yeah, at conventions yeah. of uh, yeah. accoutrements you yeah. know, that you feel like you... Yeah. I've got a laminated cards and laminated miniatures and this and that and all the other... Anything with, with those sorts of things. Because you, you've taken the mickey out of me recently because I've produced a couple of big plans, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the people in Reef Graphics are working <laughs> to do a Starship plan on a huge A1 sheet. But I've done that because it fits the game. So I've run yeah. a traveller scenario where it is important that you have a plan because they have to kind of plot out how they're going to defend this settlement. So it's important. But I wouldn't do a big plan unless it was significant, unless it was central to the way the game's going to function. I think what, what sometimes happens is people have lots and lots of bling and lots of stuff and it doesn't really figure. No. In, or, or it's not significant in the way the scenario is operating. It's just window dressing. Yeah. And that's the thing. If it's just, that's exactly the question. Is it absolutely necessary? If it's not necessary, don't do it. If it's necessary, do it. There are some games where you do need a map. And, also, and you do need tokens. And also, but, you should also say, if you find it fun doing all the accoutrements. Well, yeah, if you find it fun. Do yourself If you really want to spend your days laminating stuff, fine. Yeah, you yeah. do. Yeah, it. there is that. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not... I, it, it's strange, really. I, in some ways, I've, uh, despite saying I like a Games Master screen, 
I sometimes feel more comfortable running a scenario where I think I really don't need all that stuff. Yeah. It's particularly true as well. This is slightly different on like Roll20, on, online. Yeah, yeah. I get very nervous when an online game relies on a map yeah. or relies on tokens because I worry about the tech going wrong yeah. or things bombing out or the fog of war disappearing. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, that kind of It's like when I was running a virtual X. I think it was Scott was run was playing my Dungeon Crawl Classics game and I brought yeah. the map up and he said, oh, should we be able to see all the rooms? And I went, oh, oh no, you can't see any. He said, no, I'm joking. I thought, yeah. oh, God, oh, God, you know. Yeah. So all that as well, isn't it? The, the, the more there is, the more there is to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like even going to a convention, if you, if you have to have a map, you go to a convention, you've got to have a map. You think, I've got to have that map in my bag. Got to get that map to yeah. the convention on the train in one piece because it's yeah. so important to the game. Yeah. Whereas if it's a game where you don't need any of that, that's just kind of more relaxing. Yeah. I, I, I'd say it's the opposite. The less accoutrements I need, the more relaxed I am. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's the way I think about it. Next one. What's the best biscuit? What's the best biscuit? Hmm. Mm. There's lots to be said for a Dundee cake. Do you still get that? Dundee cake? What's a Dundee What is a Dundee cake? It's like a, a Dundee cake. It's like a biscuit, like a chocolate biscuit. With like a biscuit, yeah, but what, what? It's like a chocolate biscuit, like shortbread with chocolate on it. With Do you think Sugary so? back. Oh, God, no. So much. they remind me of the 70s. That's too much. Too much. Too much. Did you short cake? No. no. See, I like a hobnob because it's like saying hobnob. I'm not a massive fan of biscuits. Shall I? I quite like a Viscount biscuit. A Viscount, yeah. I like a Viscount biscuit, but some would, they're, they, they're, they're into that area with a club biscuit, aren't they? Is it a biscuit or is it a chocolate bar? Yeah. I like a jammy dodger. Yeah. But I tell you, I can't resist. If, if you took a packet into my house, I'd finish them off in an evening. Party rings. You like a big party ring. Party ring. So having said you don't like a biscuit, you've got a full array of biscuits. Not really, no. I don't go and buy it. Would you buy a crisp, crisp or biscuits? Crisps. Crisps. Yeah, yeah crisps. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But par- party rings. Ah. Oh. Yeah, I like, I like them. Yeah. I like hobnob in the same way that John Lydon likes country life butter. Ooh, right, okay, this is interesting from Tristan. Where is your comfort zone for the number of sessions, session duration? Playing context for trying out a new system or setting. I immediately think six. Six. Six sessions for trying something out. I don't know why, but somehow six pops into my head. Yeah, about six sessions. I think we traditionally it's about six. Yeah. One's not enough. No, one's not enough. Two. Two's not enough. Some used to, to get. I think some. I did my, <laughs> instinctively think about sex. I think in the past when we've done things like, oh, I'll try some Deadlands, or we'll try this, or we'll try that. Yeah. I always think, well, six. Yeah, might be a bit more. Might be seven or eight, but it, minimum about six. Yeah, for some reason I don't know why, but that just some people feel, commented when we said, oh well, we've done a ten session campaign. Yeah, but it's all so short. Campaign. Yeah. It probably is, but it just feels natural cycle, doesn't it? Of uh, ten. It's enough. To, it's enough to get you through a game and and get you into the 
the longer term aspects of the game. I think that, that's my feeling on it. It's like a lot of these things. You want to try again. Do you want to commit yourself to two years of a campaign? It's a new game. You're going to go, oh, I'll run this for two years. Yeah, I don't like it. But six or seven sessions is enough to experience a bit of character development, some of the longer-term aspects of a game that you don't necessarily get in a one-shot. But equally, not commit yourself. Have you ever got to the fourth get fourth session and thought, I've had enough of this, haven't I? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's four. It's four. four. <laughs> okay. We're coming to the last one, then. Last one. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, when did you last leave a piece of crucial information but managed to save the day and were the players suspicious? Um, I don't know. See, I ran uh, um, a game last year, called Cthulhu game, mm. and I made a massive cock up. A massive cock. Okay, go on. Oh, I'm intrigued. Was I playing it? Yeah, you were. Was yeah. It was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I wasn't suspicious. <laughs> and what happened was, um, it was um, and Paul Fricker's uh, game. You know the one that was set on board a train. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's like uh, we did it in two sessions, didn't we? So the first session. Yes. Yeah. Was you were investigating this? Yeah, investigating. Then you end up on a train. End up on yeah, a the train. second bit. You yeah, train. And there were two people involved, yeah. mm. and somehow I got mixed up in my head. <laughs> the person who was the victim and the other person. <laughs> okay. Right. So the name I got the names wrong. I trans- right. transposed the names. Right. But once I committed to the fact that the victim's name was a particular name. And the other person who was with it, I had to all the way through it, change it round. Mm. You see what I mean? And, <laughs> and I don't know what happened. I just some, somehow it got muddled up in my head as I got that. So he, he, he d- discovered it. And well, this demonstrates. This is interesting because this demonstrates the power of the games master, doesn't it? Because I, I do remember that game now, and I thought I was just being thick. It, I just thought I was being thick because I didn't quite understand part of it. But then by when we got onto the train and it all started happening and all people started doing sanity. I forgot about that. But there was a point, I do remember it now, there was a point in that first session where I thought, am I being, I must be being really dim here. I didn't quite, can't quite tie this together. But then things happened and it moved on. Yes. So I wasn't suspicious. I just thought I was stupid. And that, that's the power. You see, that's the power you say the you game. don't want a Games Master screen because you want to be all friendly in a book. This demonstrates the power of the Games Master. You might as well get a big screen and hide behind it because your players aren't suspicious when you make a cock-up. They just think they're stupid. <laughs> or oh, I'm not understanding. I don't, I don't understand this, but I'll tell you what, I'll keep quiet because I don't understand it. I don't want to say... I, just don't I don't want to say I don't understand it because everyone else might say, well, don't, what's there, what is there not to understand? <laughs> <laughs> so, I do remember that. And I wasn't suspicious. I just thought I was an idiot. Yeah. I mean, I possibly am an idiot, but not a particular idiot on that. And the, the, there are there are times there are, there are times in, in investigation games. I'm not I'm not the greatest at running <laughs> investigation games. Where uh, I, I forget to tell you a, a crucial bit of information. Yeah. But I do think you can kind of retrofit those. You can go back yeah. and uh, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever missed out. I don't think I've ever done something like that. But I think what I have, what has happened occasionally, 
is, and, and again, it is investigative games. They're the hardest things to kind of put together. I think what I've done is a player has pointed out quite innocently a contradiction or a bit that doesn't quite make sense. Like, yeah. why would he? Why would he do that then? When he when he had access to the money all the time, why would he do that? And I think, oh, oh, that's a good point. Actually, I hadn't really thought about that. that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on, moving on. Never mind. You know, I've, I, that's happened. It's not so much I've I've missed a piece of information out, but I've had the odd point where I've thought, oh yeah, there's yeah, actually, you could they could have done this in a, the villain, for example, could have done this in a much easier way. I've just not seen it. Yeah. And the players innocently pointed that, almost pointed it out as if it's a question, as if there's some deeper meaning. Yeah, deeper, yeah. Why? Why would he? Why is he doing Why like would he kill her with a knife when he had a gun? Yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? Anyway, well, he's a monster. He's a shoggoth. <laughs> yeah, we're on a train. <laughs> You're on a train now. There's a shoggoth attacking you. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? That, both our examples are investigative games. They're quite, they can be the most difficult games to put together yeah. and run because there's a lot going on. You yeah. know, go, yeah. going up to the, the tower on the hill and kill the ogre is a bit easier than yeah. something investigative. We've got to remember different characters' names and different characters' motivations yeah. and think about why they've done what they've done. And, and sometimes perhaps miss out the fact that they could have done it a different way, but you've just not seen that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. We've done it. We managed to get away. We get away with it. We're not in a cupboard. We're in an actual pub. In an actual pub. We got away with it. They've turned the music down for us. Yeah. yeah. We could put it down in success. The barman turned the music down. He has a spectacular moustache, hasn't he? Yes. <laughs> it's it, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, brave, brave, I think. Brave moustache, isn't he? A really good moustache. Yeah. He's committed to it. He's committed to it. You don't see him these days, do you? Moustaches. They're not. Uh, you know, but they're yeah. byproducts, aren't they? But this one's a mm. proper commitment. <laughs> byproduct, <laughs> accidental moustache. It's a definite moustache, yeah. yeah. Right, that's another thunder phase. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. It's your local. So that's the end of the podcast. Um, just on my way down Arthur's seat now, so I did survive it just in case you were worrying. That guy in the Glass of Gary, he was actually uh, coming down from Scotland himself, and he was in Manchester to see Manchester United. He was on a pilgrimage. Um, he was a big fan of Alec Ferguson and what he did at Aberdeen, and he'd come down to the Theatre Dreams to watch a fixture at Man United. So there you go. At the time of recording this, the end of May 2023, I'm about to go to UK Games Expo, and more about that next time. But if you are going, then please come along to the repair shop uh, seminar, one thirty on the Saturday, that I'll be attending, along with Dave Patterson from Frankenstein's RPG podcast, Steve from All Anth Rex's Gaming Vexes podcast, and Paul Fricker from The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, and we'll be looking to revive a game that has long gone past its best buy date. 
Right, I'm uh, going to go back and uh, put this out. So uh, until next time, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you uh, to Patreon to make this possible. Some more shout outs next time. But until then, adios amigos. Thank you.